Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Okay. I'll be reading your sermon text for today. It's uh, out of Galatians 5, 1 through 12. For Christ, for, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In, the case, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Ah, oh, man, it, like, there's a lot of faces in a really long hallway, and all we have to do is cram you in, and you start clapping and stuff. It's so weird. We may never move back in there, but we will for real. But we may be here another week, so just prepare your minds, prepare your hearts. Um, man, so a lot of you were gone last week. We tackled one of the most difficult verses in Galatians. Um, but after getting through that, today we land on one of the classic well-known verses from the book of Galatians. I'm talking about the first verse, not the last verse, obviously. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And freedom in Christ is the theme that is going to carry us throughout most of chapter 5 here as Paul describes what this freedom is and what it's not, as well as how we are to live inside of this freedom and power that is ours through Jesus. See, functionally or positionally, we are free in Christ. But if we're not living in this freedom, then we are choosing bondage. And the absurdity of this situation these Galatians had put themselves into, and, and so many believers today do the same, is to be set free in Christ, to be freed of condemnation, and then to place this yoke of bondage back upon our shoulders, fully justified by God and freed in Christ, but choosing to live in chains. And the unfortunate result when Christian freedom is skewed 
When someone places this yoke back upon themselves, the yoke of the law is that they often become an oppressive taskmaster to those around them. They live in unnecessary bondage and then inadvertently try to put that same yoke upon those around them. So we need to understand this freedom we have in Christ. We need to stand firm in this freedom, as Paul says here, because this is the joy of the Christian life. It is what we have been called to. And so Paul frames all of this up in verse 1 saying, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. But before we kind of deep dive into that verse, I want to look at how Paul works out his argument through this text and then circle back to verse 1 at the end. And as I said, the opposite of living in freedom is to live in bondage. And this is exactly what these Judaizers were teaching They were persuading the Gentiles to put themselves back under enslavement to the law and to thereby take up an entirely different religion. And this religion was diametrically opposed to the Christian faith. And the theological symbol that represented this perverted gospel that they were teaching this gospel of salvation by works of the law and law-abiding, the symbol was circumcision. The issue wasn't just the act of circumcision. Paul's about to say that. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. But what this act represented for these Galatians was a rejection of the very gospel they once proclaimed. As Paul says in verses 2 and 3, look, I I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no value or no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace." And this is the argument that Paul's been making this entire letter. If you choose the law, you are bound by the law, and ultimately, you will be condemned by the law. The way of Christ is freedom and grace. And if you choose law and works, you have fallen away from that grace. So Paul warns of the danger of falling away from grace, and then he describes true believers In verses 5 and 6, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And it's a beautiful picture of the Christian life and, and our Christian hope. It is through the Spirit by faith as we await the hope of righteousness, as we await the future salvation that is promised in God. And this salvation is not something we work for. That's what Paul's been saying. We don't work for it. He says right here, we wait for it. It's something we wait for. Through the Spirit by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. But waiting's hard, right? Waiting is hard. 
As we read last week, Sarah wasn't good at waiting. And likewise, our society is not known for its tremendous patience or long-suffering. We're known for getting everything we want as fast as we can and working really hard to try and get it even faster. We do not wait well. It's just humanity, really, throughout the Old Testament, we see time and again that the Israelites weren't good at waiting either. They had the promises of God. They knew what to do. God was with them. But when things wouldn't happen as fast as they wanted, or as fast as they thought that they should, their minds and their hearts would wander. One moment they're proclaiming their devotion to God, and then the next, man, Moses has been talking to God on that mountain for a long time. Aaron, you better melt some jewelry down and make us a God that we can see, a God that we can worship. And it's so tempting to do this when life is slow or mundane or when we struggle or fear, when things aren't going our way. Doubts can so easily creep in. We begin to question our faith. We begin to question God, to question our identity and our security, and our flesh's response is always to do something, to act, to earn. We want to take control of this situation and have something to show for it that we have done, something that makes us feel faithful. But the gospel says the work is done. It's done. Stop striving. Christ has accomplished all for us. We are secure in him. And we are called to this horrible word, wait. Wait on the Lord and on the fullness of his promise. And this, this waiting is not passive waiting. It's not standing around doing nothing. It is active as Paul said in verse 1, we are standing firm, rooted in the truth of all that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And Paul says in verse 6, it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision, right? It's not about what we do or what we don't do that galvanizes our position in God's kingdom. It is faith working through love. That is, it's not our loving actions that make us worthy to be in God's presence or part of his family, but rather it is our faith. When we trust in Christ through the inner working of the Spirit, the love that we have experienced from God overflows from our hearts. As we read in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. This is freedom. This is the Christian life. It is being so secure and so confident in the love that we've experienced from God, so satisfied in Him that we stop striving for it. We stop trying to earn and justify ourselves. And as we rest in Him, hopefully waiting upon his promises, his love will overflow from our hearts. 
There will be a supernatural outpouring of his grace and love because we are secure in that love. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, you were running well. You were running well. You trusted in Jesus. You believed and you were growing in him. I saw the fruit with my own eyes. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. You've been fed a story, a lie. You've been led away from faithfulness to Jesus. And then Paul uses the same illustration to describe the danger of this false teaching, this law abiding that he used with the Corinthians to describe sin. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So just as unaddressed sin inside the church taints and corrupts and affects the whole, this false teaching is like a cancer. It will wreak havoc and destroy if it is not stomped out. And then in verse 10, Paul shifts back to being optimistic and hopeful about the Galatian believers saying, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And finally, Paul closes things out in verses 11 and 12 with some confusing words and then some possibly offensive language. First, in 11, kind of confusing, he says, Brothers, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And so what's going on here is that some of these Judaizers were telling the Galatian believers that even Paul supports their teaching, that circumcision and obedience to the law was necessary for salvation, which really makes no sense at all. And that's what Paul is saying. Like, if I was still preaching circumcision, then we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? I wouldn't have written this whole letter. I wouldn't be persecuted by the Judaizers. The whole offense of the cross to the Jewish world and to the prideful flesh of humanity is that you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work and get it. You can't save yourself. You can never do enough to be justified before God by your own actions. So if I were preaching circumcision or law-abiding, then the, the whole offense of the cross would be removed and I wouldn't be persecuted. And then Paul lands the plane in verse 12 with a gloriously uplifting statement. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. It's in the Bible. It's a bit rough. It seems a little bit out of left field, more graphic than we'd like, but keep in mind, Paul has already pronounced anathema over these people, right? Divine curse from God has already been spoken over them. But Paul's language definitely gets to the gravity of the situation and of the offense. With that said, I don't think that this is just Paul being really angry and wishing traumatic bodily harm. That's not what's going on here. When he says, as some translations put it, I wish you would make eunuchs of yourself. It's very likely that Paul was alluding to the practices of the priests of the pagan god Sybil, 
who was in Asia Minor in this area. Basically, Paul was saying that that teaching circumcision as a requirement for salvation was no different than the pagan practices and beliefs of the surrounding people. Paul was like, why stop at circumcision? Go all the way. Finish the job. Call it what it is. Void of the gospel and an affront to the holiness of God. So I think that this statement was less about this malicious act of punishment and more about calling their pagan lies pagan. What they were teaching was no better than the pagan idolatry that surrounded them. Which brings us back to verse 1. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And the format of this verse is what we see so often in Scripture. We're being commanded to do and to not do things. But the imperatives of Scripture, the commands of Scripture, are always rooted in the indicative. They're always rooted in who God is or what God has already done on our behalf. Right? Paul doesn't say... He doesn't command us to stand firm so that we might be free. That's not what it says. Paul proclaims our freedom in Christ as the catalyst and the power to stand firm, as the motivation to not submit ourselves again to the yoke of slavery. And so beginning with the indicative, with the truth of what God has done in Christ, we read for freedom. Christ has set us free. Our former state was portrayed as slavery, but Jesus is our liberator. And our conversion is an emancipation. We are set free from slavery and enter into a life of freedom. And a lot of people misunderstand the nature of this freedom. The freedom that we're promised in Christ on this earth is not primarily freedom from sin. It's not. It's not freedom from sin. It's freedom from the law. Or more specifically, freedom from the condemnation of the law. What Christ has done in liberating us, Paul says, is not so much to set our will free from the bondage of sin, but to set our conscience free from the guilt of sin. That's what Paul is getting at in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. When Christ returns in glory, all sin will be wiped away. But for now, In this broken world with our corrupt flesh, we will struggle with sin. But the liberating work of Jesus Christ on the cross, through him we have freedom of conscience, freedom from the tyranny of the law, freedom from the dreadful struggle to keep trying to obey the law and the rules perfectly that we might gain God's favor. We are freely accepted by God and have been granted access into his presence. 
God has done it. God has secured our salvation. God has adopted us into his family. We are sons and daughters of God, heirs with Jesus Christ of all things. And in light of this reality, because God's word and God's love are unwavering and God is for us and with us, Paul gives us two very simple commands. Stand firm and don't submit again to slavery. And he's really just saying the same thing in a positive and negative way. Stand firm in the reality that you are now free in Christ. And don't submit again to slavery. Don't revert back to trying to justify yourself by your actions because your freedom has already been secured. And this imagery of a yoke probably lands better in rural cultures or the first century. But we can all imagine an oxen, large animal, weighed down with a heavy yoke around its neck, living its life every day, all day, to bear this weight and pull this plow over and over, every waking hour, weighted down and strained until one day the yoke is removed. The oxen stands up straight and strong and free. And Paul's like, don't go back to the yoke. Like, why, why would you go back? Enjoy the freedom that is yours. Reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, all of you who are striving so hard for approval, striving so hard for love and acceptance or to be good enough. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, there is no rest under the law. There's no respite or peace under the law. You can never stop striving. And in the end, only condemnation awaits. But in Christ Jesus, we are free. In Christ, the yoke of the law is lifted and obliterated. And Jesus says, come to me. Follow me. Learn from me. There is no condemnation here for all who trust in me by faith. No condemnation. So Paul says, stand firm. And standing sounds really simple. I'm actually standing right now. It's not hard. It sounds passive, but this is not passive standing just like it wasn't passive waiting. The type of standing that we are doing is like standing in the middle of a river in waist-deep water. As the water rushes over us, the torrents of our culture, of our sin and doubt and fear, of the weakness of our own flesh are constantly pushing against us, constantly whispering lies that we are not enough, 
that God could never love you, that we need to be better if we want to be accepted by God, if we ever want to be loved. And with all our might, we are to stand firm in the truth. That all Christ has accomplished is for us. That we have been set free. That we are loved and accepted and our identity and purpose are bound up in Christ. We are children of the living God new creations in Christ, ministers of reconciliation. And we have been sent out by God to proclaim his glory to the ends of the earth. We've not simply been set free from bondage and condemnation. We have been set free so that we might lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That is the kind of freedom that we have. Freedom from all condemnation. Freedom from what people think. Freedom from having to try and make a name for ourselves. Freedom from trying to impress people. Freedom from fear, the fear of death itself. Because our eternity is secure. Our life is bound up in Christ. And however many days that we have on this earth have been given to us by God to magnify his name as those who have been set free in the midst of a world of bondage, living as a city on a hill, calling all who will listen to look to Jesus and experience supernatural freedom that has been offered in him. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you this morning because we have been set free in Christ. That there is now no condemnation, that we can enter your presence with confidence, and there is nothing that can separate us from your love. God, we ask that you would help us live in this freedom. God, that you would silence the lies and the fears and the voices of condemnation, even if that voice is our own, so that we might look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing that our lives are secure in the finished work of Jesus. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Amen.